I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast. Hi again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. And if you've listened before, thank you and welcome back. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we'll be talking to a different thought leader. You'll hear me interviewing some of the most interesting and extraordinary people in the culture today. And you'll also hear a lot from my chief content officer at Goop, Elise Lunin. I know I'm biased, but I think Elise is the best interviewer around. Elise's guest today is researcher and author, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Joe's latest book is called Becoming Supernatural, How Common People Are Doing the Uncommon. His work explores neuroscience, epigenetics, quantum physics, and consciousness. He's become known for helping people heal in miraculous ways, And if you know Elise at all, you know she's been wanting to interview Joe since we launched the podcast last year. I I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. And it only takes a decision with such firm intention that the amplitude of that decision carries a level of energy that's greater than the hardwired programs in your brain and the emotional conditioning in your body, and your body literally responds to your mind. Now let's get to Elise and Joe. In your foreword, there was a major recognition where you talk about how you had previously been sort of working with skeptics in mind, with this idea that somehow you would prove to them that natural and normal isn't sort of the end of our capacity Mm -hmm. and that you had this, as you were listening to someone recount a miraculous healing, you were like, what is the point? Like, this is something, it's interesting to me because we think about that at Goop a lot and Mm -hmm. we've been very focused on, okay, fine guys, like we'll collate all the research and the studies, we'll do all, we'll make sure to present the full case for your satisfaction. But at at its heart, our readers believe it and it doesn't, they don't care. It's kind of a waste of energy. So I liked that, that you were like, screw it. Well, look, I mean, this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. Right. This is a time in history to know how. And the contemporary model of science or medicine has been studying natural and normal. And when people get a diagnosis or they, they have some type of life event, the stronger the emotion that they feel from some outer experience that outer experience changes their inner chemistry. And when they feel that altered, they pay attention to the cause and the brain takes a snapshot that's Mm -hmm. called a memory. So people then get stuck in the past. So is it possible then for people to literally change the way they think, change the way they act and change the way they feel and how you think, how you act and how you feel is called your personality Mm -hmm. and your personality creates your personal reality. That's it. So with that in mind, I, you know, when you write or when you're merging science and spirituality, you're in the back of your mind, you're always keeping that critic mm-hmm. in your mind when you're addressing it. And it's healthy to do that. But then I reached a point where I realized that some of those critics are not going to like me anyway. Right. And so why would I try to appease that? And why not just focus on the people that are thirsty for this information and literally begin to reach them. So when I finally let that go, I just, I honestly really don't care anymore. And because of that, there's a tremendous amount of freedom that goes mm-hmm. along with that. So we have enough evidence now. We've done over 8,500 brain scans. We've measured over 5,000 hearts. We've measured neurotransmitters. We've measured immune response. We've measured telomeres. We've measured genetic expression. We now know that there's a formula that if you follow that formula, In less than five days, people Mm -hmm. are going to have biological and energetic changes. And to sustain that then and make it a habit or to self-regulate is when you begin to master yourself Mm -hmm. and you begin to master your life. And people are doing it now. Okay. So to back up, can you explain sort of in a nutshell the idea of of quantum science or everything that's possible and available to us? Sure. Sure. This is an interesting conversation. (laughs) Let's jump right into it. So we have three-dimensional reality, right? And three-dimensional reality uh, allows us the, uh, the ability to navigate in a world where we use our senses. And our senses plug us into the three-dimensional reality. Think about it. 
If you didn't have sight, you didn't have hearing, you didn't have smell, taste, or feeling, you would have no experience of the three-dimensional reality. And the three-dimensional reality that we live in, for the most part, is matter. Mm -hmm. It's materialism. So the Newtonian model of reality says that everything that's in the material world operates kind of by certain laws. You know, you know the direction and the speed that something's moving. You can determine where it's going to be and how much time it's going to take to get there. So the Newtonian world is based on the predictable, right? Mm -hmm. So when they started studying quantum physics, like an apple falling from a tree is a Newtonian principle, but when they started disturbing electrons, Einstein and Planck, to see if when they disturbed those electrons, those electrons would fall towards the center of the atom, the nucleus of the atom, like an apple falling from a tree. But it didn't. Mm -hmm. The electrons behaved in very unpredictable ways. And so when they started looking for the electrons to measure them, everywhere they looked, they appeared. So now for the first time, subjective mind is beginning to interact with the objective world. In other words, at the quantum level, mind and matter are so intimately connected that it's impossible to separate the two. Right. So now, that means then that your observation of reality has an effect. So the quantum physicist would argue that, yeah, that the mind and matter being intimately connected only works at the subatomic level, like, mm -hmm. you know, small things, but not like in large events, like big events in our life, that the observer effect really works on the very tiny. And I always say the same thing. Maybe we're just poor observers. Maybe we can learn how to sharpen our skill of observation. So then this invisible field of energy and frequency, and all frequency carries information, this immaterial realm called the quantum has nothing to do with matter. It has to do with energy. So for many years, people thought that matter emits a field of energy. Mm -hmm. But when you study it very closely, it's actually the opposite. It's actually energy that creates matter. Mm -hmm. So then to get to that place where you dissociate from everything material, your body, the people in your life, the things you own, the places you go, and literally linear time itself, when you teach a person how to do that, then they become pure consciousness. Now they're executing from that invisible field. Now they're connected to that field of information. So then the fundamental question is, can they exert greater effects on the nature of reality once they know how to get there? Mm. And the answer is yes, because if you change the field, according to this principle, you change matter. So we have researched and worked extensively, and we call that getting beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. And in 8,500 brain scans, I can tell you that you and I are at our absolute best when we get beyond ourselves. So here's an example, just a simple example. There was a, a Yale researcher by the name of Harold Saxton Burr. And in the 40s, he was interested in studying the electromagnetic fields around living organisms. And so he started studying eggs like salamander eggs, bird eggs, reptile eggs. And he was using magnetic instruments. And in 100% of the time in studying these eggs, the positive charge was always where the head was, and the negative charge is always where the tail was. Mm. So then when you have a positive and negative charge, it's a magnet. So now you have an invisible electromagnetic field that isn't in the exact shape of the egg 100% of the time. So then he started studying human beings, and he started studying women with ovarian cancer. Mm. And he studied 10,000 women with ovarian cancer. And what he noticed was that in every single woman that had the cancer in the uterus, 100% of the time there was a pattern, the same exact pattern in the field. But there was a certain percentage of women that did not have uterine cancer but had the pattern in the field. Hmm. And 100% of those women ultimately developed uterine cancer. So he scratched his head and he said, wow, it's not matter that's emitting a field. It's the field that's creating matter. Hmm. Change the field and you change matter. So then science becomes the language of mysticism. And when you combine a little quantum physics with a little neuroscience, with a little neuroendocrinology, with a little psychoneuroimmunology and epigenetics, all of those sciences point the finger at possibility. And that becomes the contemporary language of mysticism. And when people understand the science, the more they understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, the how gets easier.
Yeah. Oh, there are so many things I want to follow up on in what you just said. So in the most, the most tactical way, what you teach people to do is to change what's happening in their body, which is essentially following what their mind is thinking. I'm probably butchering this, but that within the world of possibility, by imagining an unknown future, you are, you can actually change your body. You can change the way your genes are expressing. You can heal. You can sort of walk into a different future. Yes. And, and I can honestly 100% tell you that people are doing the miraculous. They're doing the uncommon. They're healing themselves from cancer. Not one, not two, not three, not four. Many people healing themselves from lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto syndrome, blindness, deafness. We are seeing the most incredible things change in people's bodies. And let's demystify that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your brain is organized to reflect everything you know in your life. Your brain is a record of the past. Right. It's an artifact of everything you've learned and experienced to this moment. Feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences. And we can remember experiences better because we can associate them with a feeling. Mm -hmm. Right, let's just take the average person. They wake up in the morning, the moment they come back to conscious awareness, the first thing they do is they start thinking about their problems. Those problems are memories that are etched in the brain that are connected to certain people, mm -hmm. certain things at certain times and places. If you believe that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny, you're thinking in the past. Right. Every one of those problems has an emotion associated with it. So the moment they think about their problems, they start feeling unhappy. They start feeling discouraged. They start feeling fear. They start feeling frustration. They start feeling unworthy. Now, all of a sudden now, the moment they feel that emotion... Their body's in the past. Why? Because thoughts are the vocabulary of the brain mm. and feelings are the vocabulary of the body. And how you think and how you feel creates your state of being. Right. So most people's entire state of being is already in the familiar past. Now, the moment they're in the familiar past, they are going to crave the predictable future to keep and maintain the same biology. So they, they get in touch with a familiar feeling of unhappiness or... Better yet, they feel like a failure. Well, the moment you feel like a failure, you're going to think you're a failure. Mm -hmm. And the moment you think thoughts associated with being a failure, you're going to feel more feelings of failure. And people get in these loops of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking. And their body, as the unconscious mind, mm -hmm. does not know the difference between an experience in their life that creates an emotion and the emotion that they're fabricating by thought alone. So the body is believing it's in the same past experience, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and 365 mm. days a year. And now the latest research in genetics, in epigenetics, says that it's not genes that create disease. Less than 1% of the people on the planet are born with a genetic disorder. The other 99% for lifestyle and behaviors. So then they say now what it really is, science says, it's the environment that signals the gene that mm. creates disease, the outer environment of the cell. So then if the environment signals the gene and the end product of an experience in your environment is an emotion, if you're living by the same emotion every single day, there's no new information coming from the environment and you're signaling the same genes. Well, now you're headed for a genetic destiny. Mm -hmm. So then... Okay, let's change then. Well, you keep thinking the same way. You keep firing and wiring the same circuits. They get hardwired. You keep demonstrating the same behaviors. You complain, you blame, you make excuses, you feel sorry for yourself. That just becomes integrated into your nervous system. It's, you're, you're in a program now. And if you're living by certain emotions that keep you connected to the past, then you can't create a new future. So then you say to a person, well, why do you feel that way? They'll tell you, well, I feel this way because my father was an alcoholic mm -hmm. or I was betrayed by my ex. Okay, but now you still have to change, right? So the, the hardest part about change is not making the same choice as you did the day before. So all of a sudden you say, okay, I want to I heal. So now you got to go from the old self to the new self. Mm -hmm. And the first step, at least, is becoming conscious of your unconscious thoughts, so conscious of those unconscious thoughts, you wouldn't go unconscious to them in your waking day. Mm. Become so aware of how you speak, how you act, what you do, 
that you wouldn't be in an unconscious habit of yourself any longer. And to really look at those emotions that keep you anchored to the past and decide, do these emotions belong in my future? And I think that most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality and it doesn't work. You literally have to become someone else. So then some people are so caught up in the feelings of guilt or Mm -hmm. shame or unworthiness that they don't even know that they're feeling that. It's just how they normally feel. Mm -hmm. So now the moment you decide to change, you step into a river. And that moment where you begin to start making different choices, you are going to feel uncomfortable, period. Right. And now you're in the unknown. You're leaving familiar territory. So now here's where the work begins. Because it's so important to close your eyes and disconnect it from your outer environment. To sit your body down and not let it be in a program once and get up and do something. Mm -hmm. And you, like an animal, train it to stay. Mm. Not get on your cell phone, not get on your computer, not turn on the TV, not call a friend, not get distracted by that emotion, but to sit and stay with it and not be thinking about the predictable future and all the things you have to do in the familiar past and find the sweet spot of the generous present moment. Now, this is the work Mm -hmm. and there's a formula to do that. So then the fundamental question is what thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain? What behaviors do I want to demonstrate in one day? And the act of closing your eyes and rehearsing who you want to be when you open your eyes begins to install the neurological hardware in your brain to look like that experience has already happened. Now your brain is no longer a record of the past. (laughs) Now you're priming your brain to be a map to the future. And if you keep doing it over and over again, that hardware will become a software program. And who knows? You just might start acting like a happy person. No, no magic there. It's, it's really principles of science. Now, here's the hard part. Can you teach your body emotionally what that future will feel like before it's made manifest? That means you can't wait for your healing to feel gratitude and wholeness. Right. You can't wait for your new relationship to feel love. That's, that's the Newtonian model of reality, of cause and effect. People wait their whole lives for something outside of them to change how they feel inside of them. And if they're not creating anything new because they're in the past, then they spend their whole life in lack and separation. Mm -hmm. But the quantum model of reality is about causing an effect. That means the moment you start feeling gratitude, the moment you start feeling whole, if you're truly in the present moment, your body is the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between the experience again and the actual feeling that you're creating by thought alone. And the stronger the emotion you feel, the more you pay attention to the pictures in your mind. And in a sense, you're beginning to remember your future. Now, practice that every day, and you're going to trade guilt and fear and pain for an elevated emotion. And our research shows that in four days, you could literally change your gene expression. The genes that begin to combat tumors and cancer are signaled. Mm -hmm. The genes that strengthen your immune system by 50% by just 10 minutes of gratitude, just a few times a day. In four days, your immune system will increase its strength by 50%. The genes to signal stem cells to go to damaged tissues and repair them. The genes to suppress oxidative stress are signaled. The genes for neurogenesis is our research. Mm -hmm. Not just making new connections in your brain, but growing new neurons as a result of just making inward changes. So then, if you're able to do that, and do it for an extended period of time, then you're going to begin to what we call downregulate the gene for disease and upregulate the gene for health. Now, genes make proteins, and proteins are responsible for the structure and the function of your body. And the expression of proteins is the expression of life. Mm. And the body is that protein-producing machine. Muscle cells make muscle proteins, actin and myosin. Immune cells make immune proteins called antibodies. Stomach cells make stomach proteins called enzymes. So all of a sudden now, as you begin to passionately feel that elevated emotion, and we teach people what those heartfelt emotions are, we measure if they're doing it or not. Once they know the skill of how to self-regulate, they can keep the same genes on and the other genes off. And now... They're changing their genetic destiny because the body begins to express new proteins. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you see the diminishing of a health condition. And all of a sudden, the person literally, in a sense, is somebody else. The disease exists in the old personality. And they'll tell you that was the old me. They don't have to visualize the tumor going away. 
they literally become someone else. And, and then all of a sudden there's a reorganization of biology. So interesting. Like one people's reticence for change or just this other belief that I think we all have or conditioned to have that change is very hard and change takes a long time. And it's like even the condition, when you think about people and relationships, right. And finding love, there's this this conditioning that I think, and maybe men have it and maybe it's only women, but I certainly felt like I had it, which is this idea that you have to go out and you have to date and you have to like get really good at it before somehow you miraculously find your partner. When the reality is we all know like you meet someone and your life changes in an instant. Sure. There's no practice. Look, it's, it's, you can do it that way. That's matter to matter. In a three-dimensional reality, in 3D reality, everything takes time. So if you're matter trying to change matter, you have to pay your dues and make those choices and drag your body through space, and it's going to take time. And yeah. if you go through enough you experiences, you may find the right person. But really, the real question is, is why not take out a piece of paper mm-hmm. and write down everything you want in a partner, then become that person? Now there's a vibrational match that you're emitting. You're no longer in lack. You are the person that's worthy to, the, to have the relationship. And now you start drawing experiences to you. Now that's the quantum model of reality because when we do that and we're, I, I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. Mm-hmm. And when you change your energy, you change your life. And it only takes a decision with such firm intention that the amplitude of that decision carries a level of energy that's greater than the hardwired programs in your brain and the emotional conditioning in your body, and your body literally responds to your mind. And that choice that you make becomes an experience that you never forget. And the stronger the emotion you feel, the more you pay attention to the choice you make. And now you are literally moving your brain and body out of your past present reality into your future present reality, dropping a stone in water Mm -hmm. and producing big waves. And so then people are always looking to do it matter to matter. But when you understand that the field creates matter and you go to that place where you are literally nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, and no time, you are pure consciousness. And we now know, we have the brain scans to say that person is beyond themselves. That is the moment they're no longer associating with anything material. Now, they're pure consciousness. If Mm -hmm. you're not your body, you're not your identity, the people in your life, the things you own, the places you live, or the places you work, or time itself, if you can just dissociate from all of that, the only thing you're left with is an awareness. Mm -hmm. And that invisible field of information called the quantum field, there's nothing physical there that you can experience with your senses. Getting people to that elegant moment where they're no longer their name, their profession, their ego, their job, their, their, their culture, their problems, their disease. That moment is when consciousness is ready to create. That's when we're creating from the field. So teaching people that formula mm-hmm. and getting to that point means they have to lay down the very thing they use their whole life to get what they want for something greater to occur, and that's the work, and it takes practice. And the formula... And I know there are many meditations sort of as part of your practice and within Becoming Supernatural, which is your latest book. Is that the most basic meditation, which is when you are sort of pulling your energy, which I really, I find I'm someone who struggles to have a meditation practice and I have my wandering mind. But the way that you talk about it, which is the retrain, as a retraining, I find very easy to access and understand as you pull your energy back from the past and pull your energy back from the known future. That I can really relate to. Is that the basic? Yeah, so it's tedious in the beginning because let's talk about energy. Let's let's simplify it. It's really simple. Where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So if you wake up in the morning and you start thinking about those problems that are connected to certain people and things at certain times and places – and those problems have an emotion, and you're putting your attention on that, you are siphoning energy out of the present moment into the past. Right. And if you wake up and you start thinking about all the people you have to see and the places you have to go and the things that you have to do in your known familiar reality, and you start putting your attention on some known future, you are siphoning your energy out of the present moment into into the future. And there's really no energy to create with Mm -hmm. by the same means. 
the stronger the emotion you have to the problems and people in your life, the more you pay attention to them. So then the person that you resent, mm-hmm. you're using them to reaffirm your addiction to some emotion and they've captured your attention. So you're giving your power away to that problem, to that person. Mm-hmm. So then when you learn how to overcome that emotion and lower the volume to it, the more you practice returning back to the present moment, every time you do that, it's a victory. Mm. And those victories add up and you are conditioning your body in that moment. Most people say, I can't meditate. And I always say, there's no such thing as a bad meditation. There's only overcoming yourself. So in the beginning, the wandering mind is going by habituation Mm -hmm. to those familiar things because that's how we feel safe in our world. God forbid you can't predict the next moment. That is the unknown. That's that void. So then... So then as you overcome the emotion and you lower the volume to the emotion, we now know that you're going to take your attention off that person and problem. And now it just takes a greater level of awareness, which is a greater consciousness, and a little energy. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you start to break those energetic bonds with everyone and everything in your life. And now you are calling energy back to you. You're taking your power back. And you're building your own electromagnetic field. We've measured this. Now there's energy to heal. Mm-hmm. Now there's energy to create a new future. Now there's energy for a mystical experience. And so then people's attention is going in all these different directions and you throw in the hormones of stress and now the brain is super aroused and it's trying to predict the future based on the past. And in stress, of course, we become materialist, define reality with our senses. When we have a stress response, we're drawing Mm-hmm. from that invisible field of energy surrounding our body and turning it into chemistry. And we're, we're robbing our vital life force. And that field begins to shrink. And now the side effect is we start feeling separate. We feel like matter trying to change matter. And then how do we do that? You compete, you manipulate, you cheat, mm-hmm. you, you force, you control, you, 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 you're matter trying to change matter. And there's only a certain amount of things you can do. So, so then teaching people that those emotions are very addictive mm-hmm. and the people use the problems in their life to reaffirm their addiction to that emotion. Now, just like an addict that's breaking an addiction, the body craves a little pain, a little guilt, a little fear because it's been conditioned that way. And when you sit down in that present moment and you overcome that emotion and return back to the present moment, now you're telling the body it's no longer the mind, that you're the mind. And there's a liberation of energy. By the same means, when you want to quit and give up and start your day because you think you're too busy and you believe that thought, and you stop the body from being on that program, and you return it back to the present moment, now your will is getting greater than the program. And most people, because they wake up every morning and do the exact same routine as they did yesterday... (laughs) They, they lost their free will to a program and their body's dragging them into a predictable future based on what they did in the past. And teaching people how to find the sweet spot of the generous present moment is the most liberating thing because now they start to feel the difference between being in that program and being free from it. We'll hear more from Elise and Joe Dispenza after this quick break. I love getting to talk with and learn from female executives at other brands. And I recently got to chat with Jamie Gersh, who is Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Old Navy. We hit it off pretty instantly. Jamie has spent 17 years working at Gap and Old Navy, so she's a veteran in the industry. I was particularly excited to talk with Jamie, though, because Old Navy has an incredible track record when it comes to the number of women who make up their workforce and the number of women who serve in leadership positions. Working at Goop, where this is also true, although obviously on a much smaller scale than Old Navy, I think about this a lot. How can we better support women and moms throughout their careers? How can we get more women into positions of power? I learned a lot from Jamie in a short amount of time. And over the course of a few episodes, I'm going to share some of my favorite parts of our conversation. Here is today's soundbite with Old Navy CMO, Jamie Gersh. Where do you... feel both in the fashion industry in general or even in the wider work space um, and at Old Navy, like where where do you feel like the most work needs to be done in terms of making it not only possible for women to stay in work, but sort of more essential and more connected to their their purpose and being? 
Yeah, I think, you know, again, we're fortunate that we work in a company that lives and breathes this. But again, no one is perfect. And I think we are constantly working to make sure that we do reflect what we believe. And so whether it's through our work around pay equality, and, you know, I love that more companies are putting that front and center in terms of making sure it's a priority to look at what are the pay differences look like and how do we get to pay equality. You know, I'm proud to report that Gap Inc. was the first Fortune 500 company to validate that we had equal pay back in 2014, and we continue to do that till this day. But, you know, there are areas like unconscious bias that we really have just put into place and these programs that we are really encouraging all of the organization to go through because a lot of the bias is truly unconscious and people don't really realize that it's happening. Mm -hmm. So how do we put programs in place that really help people understand how to interview equally, how to treat people equally, whether it's on the basis of gender, age, race, et cetera, it really has become an important value. And this idea of unconscious bias is catching on in the industry, both fashion and outside. And I'm really proud to to see that happen because I think the more people can understand that this unconscious bias exists in the world and just recognize it and say, how do we stop that piece of it, the better off we're all going to be. I mean, it absolutely. And I think that it's exactly that. It is so unconscious and people don't, as soon as you're aware of the problem or the tendency, then you can override it. But I think that a lot of us don't, aren't aware of what we're not aware of, right? Not to state that's right. totally yeah. obvious fact, but until you can identify it, you can't solve it. And people have actually, we've found that the teams love the the program and love being put through the training because it really helps them open their eyes to what is going on and why things happen and really helps turn and just puts more thought into how everyone acts every day, which has really helped. Like many of you, I've been relying on Spotify for music for years. When I tried getting into running, unsuccessfully, Spotify playlists were pretty much the only thing that got me onto the road. My husband Rob loaned me some of his playlists. And if I ever got bored of those, well, there are millions of other songs and playlists on Spotify to choose from. What I didn't know until Goop launched this podcast was that Spotify is also home to a lot of podcasts, hundreds of thousands of them. They're all free to listen to, which is one thing I love about podcasts. You can find the Goop podcast and all your other favorites on the Spotify app. Download it today and start listening on Spotify. Let's get back to today's chat. It seems like once you teach people how to be in the present moment, right, to understand the quantum field, to know what that experience is, which I'm personally dying to understand, then you can, as the idea that then you can create something like you talk about mind movies in the book, which I think is so helpful, again, because people do like, in some ways, you're making an unknown future known mm-hmm. by creating essential a commercial for yourself, yourself, exactly, and then programming your mind to live that future. Sure, is that the general that's, idea? That's a, well, we, you know, what I try to do in our on our week long events, and and in our week long events, we've done ten this year, and my goodness, we have we have seen the most miraculous things. And you, know, you get a, a thousand people together, and you demystify the process and you give them numerous opportunities to overcome themselves, mm-hmm. numerous opportunities to connect to that field, they're going to start running into it. And then when the person stands up and says, like in a recent event, I had 50 brain tumors, six in my brain stem and seven tumors in my lungs. The doctors told me three times that I wouldn't make it through the night. Mm. I had seizures every day. None of the medications worked. I just kept doing the meditations and now I have no tumors in my brain, none in my brainstem, and none in my lungs. Mm. You see the man standing on the stage telling that story, and they don't look like a buffed, you know, health, overly healthy, fit, you know, perfect person. They just look like an average person. And you have to look at this guy and say, wow, if he can do that, so can I. And that's, that's the veneer we're piercing mm-hmm. in terms of a four-minute mile. So you get a group of people together like that, and you begin to instruct them on how to do it. It becomes infectious. 
And just like a disease spreads amongst the community, you know, I think that health and wellness can become as infectious as disease. Right. So we use the mind movies as one way to teach people how to program their subconscious. Why? Because they have to understand, like, when they're looking at a television, and it's called programming for a reason, and their brain waves are transfixed into alpha brainwave patterns, they're staring at the television in a state of trance. And when you're in trance, you're more suggestible to information. And suggestibility is your ability to accept, believe, and surrender to information without analyzing it. That the, when you begin to slow your brain waves down, you diminish your analytical facilities and right. information goes right in there. So you tell, as you age, your immune system's going to get weaker. You need this drug if you have these health conditions. And you're looking at the people in the television commercial, and they look way healthier than you. Right. And all of a sudden, they say, if you've had chicken pox, and oh, that's me. Oh, I'm aging. Oh, yeah, that's me. And all of a sudden, they're programming you for the very condition that they have the solution for. That's not very ethical. But if you understand the science of conditioning, they're basically taking an emotion that's created, oh, geez, that could be me, and combining it with the symbol, you're, you're programming, you're, you're conditioning. So I thought, well, why not do that in a constructive way? Right. Why not have people make a mind movie and then teach them the science of trance? And we have the brain scans to show that Wow, when we use a kaleidoscope and we teach people how to just stop thinking and open their awareness and gaze into it, all of a sudden they open the door between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And now when they switch to that mind movie and they have a song going and it's inspiring them, they start feeling elevated and we teach them how to create with their heart, feel it in their heart and sustain heart coherence while they're watching that mind movie and they get into it their brains switch into a very highly aroused state called gamma brainwave patterns. They're super conscious. They're, they're living that future. They're, they're embossing their brain to look like the experience has already happened. So what's the significance? You're going to think neurologically within the circuitry of your future instead of your past, and you're going to start feeling a little differently than living by those past emotions. And now how you think and how you feel creates a new state of being, and your new state of being is your new personality. And all of a sudden synchronicities, serendipities, coincidences, opportunities begin to show up in people's lives because they programmed their subconscious into the future. It's, I mean, it's like the science of manifestation, right? I hope so. And we use that as one tool, but we, you know, we do all kinds of things. I just keep it, we do all kinds of walking meditations and on the beach, you know, with a thousand people and the sun is rising and it's, it's gorgeous and, and people are walking as their future self. Why is that important? Well, because when you feel beaten up from your day or you're feeling like a failure, unworthy or fear, your body is information. It goes into certain unconscious patterns. Well, today's the day to walk as your future self. Imagine people in one hour, in one hour, they got so caught up in becoming someone else. They forgot about the old self. In one hour, their disease, cancer, diabetes, heart conditions, conditions where there was chronic pain, uh, Parkinson's, crutches. In one hour, they're a different person. Now, that's not spiritual mumbo-jumbo. They understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And they take on and embody the energy of their future, and they want to make that a habit so that when they return back into their lives... Their biology is no longer a reflection of their past, present reality. Mm -hmm. Their biology is a reflection of their future, present reality. And so why is this important? Because you can't do a meditation. Connect to your future reality. And then come back to your senses and start judging your coworkers and start reacting to, to traffic. You're, right. you're back to your old person. You're just disconnected from the energy of your future. Don't expect anything to be unusual in your life. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to sustain that modified state of mind and body for an extended period of time, get ready. Because something unusual is going to happen in your life. It's the law. And do you think that those unusual things or the magic of life or the mystical parts of life, do you think that those are, that essentially, as you said in the book, like what we can observe is 1% of all frequencies of light and energy, right? Like most of our existence is 
is not perceptible to our senses. So do you think that there will come a time when we'll have codified it all and we'll understand it all and we'll pierce the veil? Or do you feel like it is, I guess, is it science or is it magic? Is it like, is it spirit or Mm. is it real? It's all of those. And, And you know what? You're looking at it from different angles. I mean, you can only talk around this, mm-hmm. right? Because that moment, I mean, I just, I just created something wonderful that I had been working on. And the moment it happened, you cannot not think that you created that. So then if you're telling me that you're in a bad mood because of somebody in the office here or some condition in your life, I'm going to say, oh, Somebody is actually controlling how you feel and how you think. That's victim mentality. Mm -hmm. You say, why are you this way? Oh, it's this person. Well, unconsciously, you're agreeing to the program that you're a victim. When you start to realize, when you change how you think and feel, and it starts to produce an outcome in your life, you're going to think less that you're the victim of your life and more of the creator of your life. And now, nobody can take that away from you. So the language that we like to use is science, and Mm -hmm. quantum is the immaterial, what was called spirit, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. But the the reason that I like science is because the moment you start using language that's connected to some religion, to some culture, some tradition, to some spiritual movement, you're going to divide an audience because someone's going to shut off. But if you use science, everybody's included. So we use that scientific model. I want people to understand it philosophically, theoretically. And then I want them to turn to the person next to them while I'm teaching them and to be able to explain it. Because if they can't explain it, it's not wired in their brain. Mm. But as they build that model of understanding and they can explain it, they're installing the neurological hardware in their brain in preparation for an experience. So they'll understand what they're doing and why. So the how, all of a sudden, we push them into the experience. They get the proper instruction. They get their behaviors to match their intentions and their actions equal to their thoughts. They're going to have some type of transformation. If we measure that transformation like we've had, been doing, that's more information to teach transformation the next time. And you begin to close the gap between knowledge and experience and demystify the process. So, so again, you could only talk around that moment. We'll get right back to the conversation. The European Wax Center is synonymous with seamless waxing, and now we love them for a campaign that empowers women, as well as men, to use their purchasing power for good. It's all part of a campaign that the European Wax Center started last April, and they're continuing it again this spring. It's called Axe the Pink Tax. The pink tax is the extra amount that the average woman is charged daily for basic goods and services. A few years ago, the New York City Department of Consumer Affairs did a study on gender pricing in the city. The report is called From Cradle to Cane, The Cost of Being a Female Consumer, and the results felt profound. They looked at almost 800 products across five industries, 24 stores, and 91 brands. Overall, they found that women's products cost 7% more than similar products for men. Of all the industries they looked at, personal care products seemed to carry the greatest discrepancy. On average, they found that personal care products for women cost 13% more than personal care products for men. That is maddening, as is the notion that any product would cost more simply because it's pink or because it's perceived or marketed as something for girls or women. As women, we're arguably the most powerful consumers, and we certainly deserve to know if this is the case. Other groups have studied the notion of the pink tax, and I think an important first step in overturning it is exploring potential gender-based pricing differences and talking about it. And I love that the European Wax Center is empowering us to do just that. You can learn more about the campaign at axthepinktax.com. Let's get back to today's chat. Tell us a story from one of your events that even stretched your understanding of what is possible. Wow. Well, I can go till midnight. I'll tell you one. <laughs> I'll tell you one that just happened. We were in Brighton. We had 950 people at this beautiful, beautiful hotel, the Hilton, on the water there. And it was November in the UK, which is pretty cold. And we had a woman that is a nurse, and she had a significant stroke a couple years ago, and it affected her optic nerve. And 
the damage to the optic nerve call, caused one quarter of her visual field to be blind. So picture a circle, draw a cross through the circle, and from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, she had no vision, blind, blind in that, that quadrant, both eyes. Mm. So the medical model is if you have a stroke and there's no recovery within the first two weeks, that after that, the likelihood of it improving is not very good. In fact, it degenerates over time because the, the tissue begins to degenerate. So she went to, as a nurse, went to all the doctors that she knew. She said, oh, this is really terrible. I can't see. It's affecting how I work. Oh, don't worry. You know, you'll, your brain will accommodate, but you'll always be blind in that area. So uh, months go by, and then she sits down with a friend who's a physician at the hospital, and the physician tells her, why don't you go to Joe Dispenza's workshop? Now, this is a change in the way people are, and we, and we get a lot of referrals from oncologists now all the time. So as a doubter, and nurses are always the best patients because they're so practical, mm -hmm. and they really think things through in a very common sense way. So she read the books, it made sense, she did the online course to prepare herself for the week long. And she stood on the stage and she said, I have to tell you, I was pretty, pretty doubtful. But I thought I had a week here. I was just going to go all in. Third day, she finishes the, her meditation and then she lays down. And when she lays down, she said, I felt like crumpled up paper. When you crumple up paper, it was going on inside my brain and there were something was crumpled up paper was crackling, was coming out of my brain. She said... All I knew is that it was incredibly pleasurable, and I wasn't going to stop the experience. Moments later, she comes out of the restful state, and she has 100% recovery in her visual field. So I say to her, please, can you go to the doctor's office, the hospital, on Monday after this event, and get your eyes checked? On that Monday morning, she sends us the post-scan. Now, the pre-scan shows that one-quarter area from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock completely black. Mm -hmm. The other, all white. The post-scan, there isn't one black spot on the post-scan measurement. She got 100% recovery. That happened in one moment. And that's not the first one. So why, what will it take? And I guess if it's slowly permeating, is it just, is it that sort of healing such a threat to the medical establishment that it's not, like, why doesn't everyone know that there are thousands of documented spontaneous healing accounts mm -hmm. at IONS or that, like, yeah. what will it take? Well, I think this is really a, a great time in history that the paradigm of medicine, the paradigm of politics, the paradigm of economics, of religion, of education, of journalism, the environment. There's, a, there's an implosion, there's a collapsing that's taking place because information is so readily available. And in an age of information, ignorance is a choice. So 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you went to the doctor, you got a diagnosis, and she said, you need this organ removed, or we need to do this therapy. And everybody signed immediately on the dotted line. Fast forward to today, you get a diagnosis, and what do you do? You research it. Mm -hmm. And you know just about as much about that condition as your doctor. And sometimes you know alternative uh, treatments that they don't know. So you go back to the doctor and say, hey, I want to try this. The doctor says, I don't know anything about that, or that's not going to work. And people look at their doctor and say, really? Time to find a new doctor. Mm -hmm. So now they're taking their power back and being, becoming more involved in their, and responsible in their treatment. And so there's an intellectual division that's going on in everything right now. We're in an age of extremes. So some people are beginning to become aware that in order for them to change and heal, they have to change their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Other people are still hanging on to that old model of reality, but more people are entering this paradigm. And why is this so important? Because evidence speaks louder than anything. Mm -hmm. And so we are at a point now where there's a momentum. We're at a point where people are going, are saying, okay, I'm going to do the work. I'm not going to miss a day. And some people, two years of making those changes until they finally heal themselves. And they just laid really strong footprints and consciousness for somebody else to step into. I've sat with researchers and physicians that get angry at me. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, you tell me how it happened then. There's the evidence. You, you, you give me your best. Tell me what you think happened. And after a period of 
disorderliness and chaos, they come back and they say, that's the only thing that makes sense. So I, I'm, I'm not really concerned about that any longer. What, what really matters is providing the opportunity that we have enough evidence to show that it's actually possible and be able to demystify it to such a degree that you have the formula. And it's simply a formula. And if you stop doing everything else but just apply the formula, we now know that you're going to run into something super cool and you're going to notice some type of effect mm -hmm. or change in three-dimensional reality. And then once that happens, it's like drink, drinking a great glass of wine. You're going to want that wine again. And people now <laughs> all of a sudden are no longer interested in being successful or famous or being healed. In fact, that's not the reason why they came. Everybody comes because they want to be whole. Yeah. That's the real thing. And when you feel whole and you feel satisfied, I mean, our research, there, you reach a transcendental moment where you feel so whole that you no longer want anything. <laughs> How could you want something when you're whole? You feel like you have it, you have it all. That's the moment the magic happens. That's the moment how we have to learn how to create from. Mm, beautiful. And I love the idea of the supernatural becoming natural. It's a new normal. It's a new normal. We say all the time, wow, look at that, another new normal. And I never thought I would see what I'm witnessing really in my life right now in terms of mystical transcendental healings and uh, wonderful experiences and creating new opportunities. I'm, I'm going. Oh gosh. Well, go on go on YouTube and look at our happy faces videos at our week-long events. This is not a pious calm spiritual retreat. We rock. I mean, everybody is <laughs> dancing, we celebrate and we do the work and then we enjoy life and I I think that's what it's about. Thanks for dropping into today's conversation with Elise and Dr. Joe Dispenza. It would be pretty cool to see Joe at work in real life. You can learn more about his workshops as well as his online courses at drjoedispenza.com and check out his book, Becoming Supernatural. All right, now I'm taking a question from one of you. When you're completely run down and exhausted for reasons beyond your control, yes, how do you cope and maintain calm and energy during the day when sleep is not an option? How do you keep your sanity and not just cry, asks Amy. I don't think I've ever purported to keep my sanity and not cry. I've been known to do that many a time when I'm exhausted. It's really hard to deal with the pressures of life when you're absolutely exhausted and haven't slept and are really depleted. Sometimes I will lie on the floor, even in my office, and put my legs up the wall, even for 10 minutes. And that's a, that's a restorative yoga pose that, that really helps. I try to focus on those little tricks, like breathing. I can close my eyes for a minute and just try to get centered. Coffee. Coffee is definitely a part of it. But life is... We've got a lot going on, ladies. Life is stressful. <laughs> if you have a question you'd like me to answer here, send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast. We hope you'll be back next week on Tuesday and Thursday. To keep up, tap subscribe. And please let us know what you think. You can rate, review, or hit us up on social. For more, just head to goop.com slash the podcast 